I was thinking about what to say tonight, and I honestly came to a place where I said, I really don't have much to say that hasn't already been said. And I thought, you know, after being here 20 years, you just start repeating yourself after a short period of time. So you've heard it all. You know it all. But there are a few things that are on my heart to share. I put them down. I'm going to share a scripture with you briefly out of Lamentations chapter 3. And I'm going to read it to you. I don't expect you to find it in your Bible unless you have really great vision in, in dark rooms like um, night vision. But you, you can do it if you'd like. Uh, we're going to look at uh, Lamentations chapter 3, two verses, verse 22 and 23. Several years ago... Actually, it was just about the year I, I moved here, uh, that year before. I was over in England with uh, my roommate at the time. Uh, he was a physician, an uh, emergency room doctor. And, and we both shared a house in California. He was from Philadelphia. And he had a pretty notable accent. He had a full, like, Rocky Balboa accent. And uh, we were in England, and we were um, at a pastry shop one morning, and um, the guy behind the counter just could, he was he had a great ear. And so when my roommate Dennis ordered his pastry and his cup of tea, um, the man behind the counter, the, the Londoner, said, you're from Philadelphia. And Dennis goes, you're right, that's great. How would you know? Because I can tell. So I thought in my mind, I thought, I'm going to trick this guy. I'm going to do an accent. I'm going to do an imitation. And th the problem was, is that I chose an English imitation. <laughs> so I walked up to the counter, I said, and I'll have him a couple of crumpets and some tea as well. And he said, you're from California. <laughs> now, the mistake that I made is you don't give a guy's accent who owns the accent. It's like, I don't even own it, and I'm trying to do it, and it was, a, it was just a mistake. You couldn't fool a guy who has that language and that accent from that area. Well, here we are. It's New Year's, and it's supposed to be a New Year's celebration, and yet you can't fool Americans. Americans know what happened this last year in our world. And some of us may even think, I just feel a little weird celebrating at the end of all this and, and looking at this next year because after all we are in a war and if you just look back over our, our, our last year just go back to the volatile presidential elections of course now I think that there's a lot more at stake than what we first thought and I think it was spiritual warfare that was involved and not only that but the high school shooting in San Diego California which was the, the most dramatic high school shooting since Columbine. Five killed, 13 injured. Then gas prices went up to almost $3 a gallon in some places in the Midwest. Rolling blackouts in California, and I hear there will be more coming up. Stem cell research debate. Then there was 9-11. And for years, that term, 9-11, will mean something in this country. Before, it didn't mean much. Now, the term has become shorthand for terrorism. Say 9-11 in the next few years. 
it'll be a shock to the ears of many of us. But it's also become a shorthand for our call toward God, 911. It's an emergency. God, we need you. Stock market was shut down. A war developed. Anthrax, a term most of us, you know, we thought it was a train. Now we know differently. Before, you mentioned Afghanistan. What state is that? Taliban, Osama, new words in our vocabulary. We feel like Linus in the uh, Peanuts cartoon who said to Charlie Brown, Well, Charlie, I love mankind. It's just all the people I can't stand. It's hard as Christians to look over this world and we're given this wonderful commandment to love one another. And we find it difficult struggling with those emotions that we feel. Now we find a parallel to this year in another year that Israel faced, the year 586 B.C. Let me quickly paint the picture before I read these two verses. The year 586 B.C was a year that Babylon had invaded the free world. They were taking over one nation after another, all in the name of their gods, and they did it to the nation of Israel. 586 B.C. was the year that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and many of the people in Israel were taken captive to the country of Babylon. A siege developed. A siege of terror developed in Israel. The people in Jerusalem were literally terrorized by these terrorists from Babylon. A, a siege, a war in those days, is not like modern warfare. Modern warfare is, for the most part, quick and antiseptic. In those days, a siege lasted not a week or two weeks. It lasted months, for the most part, years from the year 588 to the year 586 B.C., two years, Jerusalem was under siege. A siege wall was built around a city. People were starved. So much were they starved in Jerusalem. I know this is going to sound gross, but it's in this book. Women began eating their own offspring to stay alive. It got that bad that people would eat their own people to stay alive during the Babylonian siege. Jeremiah was there to witness this whole thing. It was bad. It got so bad that the people of God began calling on any and every God they could think of just for deliverance. The landmarks that were once familiar to the nation were gone. They were in deep, deep distress, and Jeremiah, Jeremiah witnessed it all and wrote about it in this book of Lamentations. All of the stuff that was once normal in Israel had changed overnight, overnight. Because it was July 18th, 586 B.C. that was tantamount to our September 11th, 2001. Everything changed. There was a new normalcy in Israel. Landmarks were gone. Terrorists had come. They felt unsafe in the city of Jerusalem. King Zedekiah tried to flee the city, and they caught him. 
they took his sons in front of the king, this king of Judah, and they killed all of his sons while the father watched. Then Nebuchadnezzar decided, I'm not going to kill dad, King Zedekiah. I'm going to keep him alive, but I'll blind him so that the last living memory of sight he has is his own children dying. That is now the new normalcy for the nation, the new reality. I found in World Magazine today this quote. On September 11th, everything, everything changed. It was as if the cloud of smoke and debris that swallowed up the Manhattan skyline obscured as well the mental landmarks that define the passage of time in any normal year. Policy debates, political scandals, economic crises, they all seemed so important before September 11th. But in 2001, we changed the way we measure what is important. As I say, Jeremiah witnessed all that, and he writes a book, the Book of Lamentations, a few short chapters. But there are five laments, five dirges. They're like funeral dirges. It's like he's saying, I just witnessed the death of my nation, and we're burying it. And he cries out to God. And yet, in the midst of all of this, there's this ray of hope, this, this few sentences that some other reality dawns on him, and he writes about it. And I want to share it with you as we approach this new year. I'm going to give you a few verses before so you can see how sad of a song this funeral dirge was. Listen to Jeremiah the prophet. He, God, has filled me with bitterness. He made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my roaming, the wormwood and the gall. My soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Or They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly, for salvation is of the Lord. Now, here we are. A year has passed. What a year it was. A new year is dawning. In fact, this really is the beginning of the new millennium, not last year, this year. And some of us wonder, what will this year be like? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen internationally? What will happen in terms of terrorism? What's going to happen to the economy? We wonder that, but do you really want to know? I don't. I don't want to know what's coming up. Because I just believe that as the day unfolds, God's going to give me the strength for it. If I knew somebody I love is going to die this year, I don't want to face this year. No, more than that, and that's what Jeremiah hits on, we want some real resources for the future. Now, we don't know exactly what's going to happen this year, but let me give you a couple certainties. Number one, just two of them, and I'll leave them with you. Number one, you can expect mercy 
in the midst of mayhem and compassion in the midst of craziness. That's what you can expect. Jeremiah writes it this way. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Well, this year will be hard. How do I know that? Well, look back at last year. And if you took away this last year and and you stood at the threshold last year of this year that you already passed, it was hard the year before and the year before and the year before. It's going to be that way. There will be some ups and there will be some downs. In fact, Job said, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Man is born to trouble. And, And how did David write it? Didn't he say... Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's what's going to happen this year. You're going to walk through some deep valleys. Maybe the shadow of death. David said he'll walk through it. He didn't say, yea, though I be airlifted from the valley of the shadow of death by God's helicopters. No, you won't have that happen. You'll go through some some stuff this year. You'll walk through those valleys. Some believers think they ought to be exempt from every problem in life. How shallow would you be if God answered all of those prayers? This is some wit from the Reader's Digest, but I think it sheds some light. It says, expecting not to be treated badly just because you're a good person is like expecting an angry bull not to attack just because you're a vegetarian. So you're a godly person. So you love the Lord with all of your heart. Does that make you exempt from troubles? Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Now Judah was down, but not out, according to Jeremiah, because of the Lord's mercies in the midst of the mayhem were not consumed. The word mercy is a word chesed in Hebrew that means covenant love, loyal love. It's, it's simply saying God will stick with us no matter what happens to us. No matter what the mayhem, God has made a covenant of love and God will stick by his people. Mercy in the midst of mayhem. This year, would you just, by God's grace, focus more on the mercy than the mayhem? Would you, by God's grace, focus more on the compassion of God than the craziness of this world? Look at all of the white that is left on that sheet, even though there are some black dots and smudges on it. Look at all of God's mercy. I pray this year that you will see not the greatness of your troubles, but the greatness of your God. Mercy in the midst of mayhem. Compassion in the midst of craziness. That's that's what I think you can expect. Look for that. And there's something else, it's also included here. In the daily grind of life, a daily supply of God's resources. In the daily grind of life, a daily supply of God's resources. Verse 23, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Just like manna in the desert 
that Jeremiah's forefathers enjoyed, he believed that God would be faithful and would be abundant, and his mercies and compassions, his resources were inexhaustible. They don't run out. God didn't grow you up to a point and say, okay, you're on your own. I helped you up till now, but go for it. Uh Uh-uh. You can expect in the daily grind a daily supply of God's resources. Look for them. It's interesting that Jeremiah writes this. It's not like he's in in, in some uh, ivory tower. He's looking at a destroyed city. Right before his eyes, the terrorism took place. But he makes a declaration of faith. You see, faith causes you to do this, to write this way, to sing this kind of a song in the midst of a funeral dirge. Faith does that. Remember Winnie the Pooh? Remember that character in in Winnie the Pooh, Eeyore? What was he like? Was he an optimist? Oh, far from it. He's the antithesis of of an optimist. He was a, a pessimist. Okay. But then, who is the optimist? Tigger. Would you rather take a long walk with Tigger or with Eeyore? <laughs> Tigger. Would you rather go through the new year with a Tigger or an Eeyore? A Tigger. What are you? Now, you don't have to answer that out loud. Believe me. Let's not indict ourselves here. But you know... Some people are like thermometers. They go up and down and up and down and up and down. They just register the scale of whatever's happening in the environment. If there's depression going on, I'm just so depressed. If things are going, ooh, I'm good today. God's really good. The next day, God isn't really good today. (laughs) But then there are other personality types in the Christian world that are so filled with faith, they're thermostats. They regulate the environment. They're not regulated by it. They come into the room with such confidence in God and such faith and such joy. It's infectious. Be that this year by God's grace. Be a thermostat. Dare to say, though it might sound naive and simplistic to others around who don't understand God, great is God's faithfulness every morning. God's resources will be there in the daily grind. He writes then, as we just looked at it, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Corrie ten Boom was in a Nazi concentration camp. She memorized a little axiom, a little short poem. That, that guided her, she said, gave her encouragement in the darkest hours as the Nazis were persecuting them. It went like this. Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus. Be at rest. A great motto for a year, isn't it? Look around. Oh, it's distressing. Look within. Oh, it's depressing. Look to Jesus. Ah, rest. So the question for us this year is, will you focus on the bumps on the road? Will you focus on the smudges in your life? Will you focus on all of the bad things that are happening in the world? Or will you focus on 
a God who still happens to be sitting on the throne and still in charge, and will you have faith in him? And if you do, I just have a hunch people are going to notice. It's going to show up in, in, in just how you talk, how you live. I read an interesting story. I don't think it's true, but I'll share it with you anyway. There's a monastery in Spain on Mount Serrat. The monks who go for training in this monastery have to maintain strict silence. Can't say anything at all except once every two years. They're allowed to say two words only. Two words every two years. Well, a guy came in. He was in training, couldn't say anything, maintained his silence. Two years were up. He was allowed to speak two words. So he turned to his supervisor and he said, food, terrible. (laughs) The year went by, another year went by. He had been there four years. He's now allotted two more words. And so he says to his superior, bed, lumpy. Two more years went by. He had been there now six whole years and maintained almost total silence. He was allowed two more years uh, words at the end of these two years. And so he said to his superior, he said, I quit. <laughs> and his superior said, well, actually, it doesn't surprise me because all you've done ever since you've arrived is complain, <laughs> complain, complain. All right, you have a choice. You and I are facing a new year. And this speaks to me as well as to you. Will we say, the Lord is my portion, therefore I hope in him? Your outlook this year will be determined by your uplook. Father, we look up to you right now. We look up because, Lord, there really is no place to look besides up. To look to you. That doesn't mean, Lord, we are to check out of being responsible in this society. Far from it. Your word clearly states we are to be very much involved in bettering our society and and being salt and light. But, Lord, we don't have ultimate hope in our government or our cultures or our society or our military or any leader on this earth. Ultimately, our hope rests in you, in your goodness, your mercy in the midst of the mayhem, your compassion in the midst of the craziness, and in the daily grind, daily resources. So our hope is in you, Lord, because you are our portion. And what a portion it is. What a wonderful portion you are. What else do we need, Lord? Lord, as we take communion in the next few minutes, I pray we would look back and then look ahead with confidence and say, the Lord is my portion. I'm going to hope in him this year. Jeremiah certainly didn't promise that everything would be perfect. He knew better. He was in a town where it was being destroyed and terrorized. But his hope was in you. 
That's our anchor, Father. May we seek no other. In Jesus' name, amen. Communion board, we're going to pass out the uh, elements to you. Uh, This is how it works. You're going to hold them till we all have them. And then we're going to take them together, symbolizing our unity and our trust in the Lord and our thankfulness for his work on the cross. And then you're not going to break those glasses that are plastic that we so often hear at the end of the service. Now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ personally, Just now, as this next song is going on, you could just turn to him in your heart and say, Lord, I give you my life. I want to start the new year by giving you the reins and the control of my heart. You could just do that privately, right where you're sitting, so that when you take the elements that speak of the body and the blood of Christ, you can do it with a clear conscience, pure heart. Because you see, if you're not a believer in Christ, you don't want to take these elements. The Bible says you're actually heaping condemnation on yourself. So they mean something. It's not just a ritual. These things mean I am connected to Christ. He died for me personally. I've received him personally. And if you have, then then you take these elements with great confidence and great joy. And we'll all partake together. Father, as we hold these elements that represent the body and blood of your Son, I think of what John wrote in 1 John when he said, That which we have seen with our eyes, which our hands have handled, the word of life. And for him to walk personally with your Son in the days of his incarnation must have been staggering. And yet, 2,000 years removed, the blood of Jesus Christ still cleanses people from all sin. It's such an amazing feat. It makes it so much easier instead of working our way, but just coming your way, the way of the cross. We thank you. We thank you that in the year 2001 and the year 2002, that the blood of Jesus Christ is that cleansing agent for us. We confess that we are sinners. We are grateful for your salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you're still working on us. You're still shaping us. You're not done yet. And we hold these elements and we think of what what this new year may unfold in terms of both ups and downs. And we declare, Lord, you are our portion. We hope in you. We face the future with faith. And our faith is in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take together. Would you just silently renew your own commitment to the Lord just for a moment?
Now, that was probably the last silence you'll have in this building all night. If you would pace, pass your cups, and it's still early, <laughs> pass your cups to the center. We're going to pick them up and then uh, show you this uh, video. Now, I've only seen portions of it, and um, they tell me I'm even in for a surprise, but some of the faces you're going to be familiar with. You've seen them here before, uh, members of uh, our board and different those uh, ones in the ministry, people from the past, the ghost of Calvary Pass, and others. So we're going to roll this video as we pick up these cups. Ago, Skip and Lenya left the warmth and comfort of Southern California to boldly move where no Calvary Chapel had gone before. The rest is, shall we say, our history. But what if, what if instead of stopping in New Mexico, Skip had seen a different side? I knew I should have taken that left toy to Albuquerque. And moved to... did stop in New Mexico, and the spiritual map of the state would not be the same. We would like to offer our congratulations on this special anniversary of the ministry there in Albuquerque and how God has used and blessed Skip in such a marvelous way. left Southern California as the Jesus movement was cresting to its high watermark. Calvary Chapel had revolutionized the landscape. Hello? Hey, Skip, what's up? Oh, you want me to video and to tell them how great you are? Okay, no problem. I'll do that. Thank you. Hi. I wanted to share a little bit about uh, Skip Heisig. Uh, I can remember... Uh, when I went to Albuquerque, here's a little surfer kid that went to Albuquerque to start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was about probably about 45 people in the Bible study. And uh, who ever thought that God would use Skip in such a way as we now look at his ministry on the radio and there in Albuquerque and how I just uh, the Lord has blessed New Mexico with the teaching of the Word of God. And, of course, uh, Skip being, being obedient to the Word of God and being obedient to the call of God. And how I thank God that he went there, you know, because he could have stayed in California like everybody else. This 
is a bigger work than I thought ever would happen in a, in a smaller community like Albuquerque. And, you know, the Bible says God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And um, I've set off, and that's my life verse. And uh, I, I just, uh, I'm honored. I'm really humbled that God would use somebody of the likes of me to do such a, an enormous thing. Hi, my name is Kent Bagdasar. And it was 20 years ago... We began Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque, in the clubhouse of my apartment building over at the Lakes Apartments. The first evening of the first Bible study, we had five people attending. We sat in a jacuzzi one night, Skip and Kent and I, and we realized that we had a church on our hands. And with that understanding, we recognized that we needed to have a children's ministry. And uh, with that uh, corporate conscious awareness, we... Uh, thought, well, gosh, who's going to do that? And Skip and Kent looked immediately at me. One of the things that comes to my mind is the Billy Graham crusade. He's come here a couple of times before. But what made this last visit a highlight is that I asked Franklin Graham to come and, and have a crusade. Franklin, you come here. You do this. God has raised you up to do it. So we were moving along those lines, making those kinds of plans. And then one afternoon, Franklin called me. And he said, um, Skip, my dad just called me, except he says, Daddy, Daddy just called me, and he wants to come and be a part of this crusade. And I said, well, great, what am I going to say, no? No, you can't have your father come? So it, it bumped the whole crusade up to a new level. Now it was a Franklin slash Billy Graham event, which was historic. It was the first time they shared a crusade ever before. you have been to Samaritan's Purse, to Operation Christmas Child uh, this year. Uh, when I was with you just a, a few weeks back, uh, we weren't uh, able to be in Afghanistan as of yet. I want you to know we're in Afghanistan. Uh, we're opening up a hospital. Uh, shoe boxes have made it. Uh, we're able to hand these boxes out to, to thousands of these children in that part of the world. And I just want you to know how much I appreciate uh, what you the church uh, have done for us. And I just want to say God bless you. And I just pray that God will give you a great, great new year. Uh, another highlight that comes to my mind are all the people that were on staff here or in our church who left to start other ministries. 
uh, either they were saved here and or they grew here or they were here for a while and they went out and they started their own ministry. And I've spoken to several the past couple weeks. God is blessing their ministry, their churches. What's happened here is reproduced in other cities. So to me, that's awfully exciting. Skip, thank you for being an example to me and thank you for your integrity through the years. Thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, for coming to Albuquerque and um, and sticking around and, and just being faithful to what the Lord has put in front of you. And uh, God bless you, and um, congratulations. And uh, my pastor, uh, Skip, is so responsible for um, being sensitive to the, the leading of God and tapping a, a funeral director he didn't hardly know and uh, sending him up to Santa Fe. And Skip, for that, I'm so thankful. Skip, I just loved the way that you would deal with all of the strange people who would show up on our doorstep right from the beginning. Skip, do you remember the time the guy came to our church and he wanted some money and he came to you and he says, I need a million dollars. And you, and instead of just blowing the guy off, you said, well, what do you need this money for? And he said, I need this money to carpet my planet. And again, instead of laughing in his face, you very gently just said, wow, that must be a very small planet. I remember when uh, I was the, the director of the school of ministry here for a while. And uh, it, it was during one of those moments that it was a, a morning class. And, and I remember watching Skip walk by the doorway and then, then hearing these, these barking sounds coming from the hallway as I was trying to conduct a class, or he would uh, stand in the window there and make faces at me, and uh, th those were touching moments as well, things that, that I'll never forget, and I've learned how to, to bark in a couple languages myself since then. I see the Lord seated on the throne. Hi everybody, this is Alan Norma Pittman with Calvary Worship Center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Wishing you guys a happy 20th anniversary, man. I can't believe it. 20 years right. the Lord has blessed you guys down there. And we just rejoice with you and what God has done. And, and I want to thank you guys also for your prayers and your support. Skip and Linya, thank you for standing behind us and for being supportive to us. And we know that we could have, couldn't have made it this far without the Lord's blessing and without your prayers, Skip and Linya, and also the prayers of the congregation. And everyone who's praying for us, thank you so much. But the Lord bless you guys. It's so awesome what the Lord has done there. We pray that he will bless you with another 20 years and that he would bless you in this new year that is coming up also. Skip got me into riding Harleys. I'd never ridden a Harley before and uh, I was out there speaking for him one time. I have the privilege of serving on the board there at Calvary and he said, hey Greg, you, you ever ridden a Harley? I said, no, I've ridden dirt bikes. He goes, oh, it's the same thing. And so I was staying out in Santa Fe so they came out with a truck and unloaded some Harleys and I climbed on one and Skip and another one of the guys were on Harleys as well and they took off and basically abandoned me. It's another massive block of music. 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 On KLYT, Albuquerque, Gallup, Ruidoso, Massive Radio, M88. M88. KNKT, Armijo, Albuquerque. This is The Connection. 107.1 FM, FM. I'm quoting from what John said in the Bible. And when I read this, 
it resonated. I said, yep, only a teacher, only a pastor could say that. He said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in the truth. John was referring, obviously, to spiritual children. He called himself the father of their faith, many of the New Testament churches. So when a teacher who pours his life in hours, week after week, into crafting messages that he hopes will stick and convict the hearers and bring spiritual growth, to see Christians growing, applying uh, that to their marriages, to their businesses, to their relationship with God and others, uh, to then go out to the mission field or start a church or get involved in a ministry or whatever, to see spiritual growth is the payoff. You need nothing else. I was born the same year this church began, so in a lot of ways I've grown up with Calvary of Albuquerque. I used to come down from Colorado with my dad when he used to fill in for Skip. I even remember those baptisms at that swampy sod farm. And i got to say, I think that the beach water park is quite an upgrade. When we moved to New Mexico, I got real involved with Lifeline Missions and went on a lot of mission trips. During those different trips and spending a lot of time with Matthew Ellison, God grew me incredibly in my walk with him, as well as he gave me a desire to be in the ministry. Now, growing up, I had always wanted to be a pastor. And after high school, I went to Bible college. Now, after going to Bible college for a while, I talked to Skip and asked him what it really was all about to be in the ministry. What was the most important thing about being a pastor? Now, you might think he talked to me about teaching styles or, or study habits or something like that. But what he told me was that ministry is about service. It's about having a servant's heart. Now, that's something you can't learn, really, from reading a book or being in the classroom. Unless you're cleaning it. We're from Uganda, and uh, we are very thankful to what God is doing through the Calvary Chapels, you know, in particular the one here in Albuquerque, sending out missionaries. We thank God for um, churches that are mission-oriented because what you're looking at is a fruit of that seed that has been planted on the mission field. And we thank God this is the one thing that we have learned never to take America for granted is they have done a lot of, America's done so much on the mission field. And this is what happens when a church becomes very mission oriented. What you're looking at is fruit. a good servant, a good leader, is just really letting God be glorified. He has work he wants to do, and he would love collaborators. He'd love us to come alongside and do the work with him and, and uh, let him work in and through us, and then uh, we can stand back and be amazed. Maybe I'm amazed at the way you love me all the time. Maybe I'm amazed at the way I love 
For kids, high school and junior high, we sort of finished that. We're building a park, and we're going to build a bookstore and a coffee a place uh, that's a little bit bigger for people. Uh, the foyer will be expanded to seat extra uh, folks. Instead of a whole huge sanctuary, we're going to have a wraparound foyer. such great happy people all the time and i just think that it is a great pleasure to, to do that
Tell you what, I look like a geek, you know, when you look at the old pictures. You know when you look at old pictures of yourself and go, I look like that? Um, somebody wrote me a card this week that said, since you've been in Albuquerque with all the outreach that's been going on, you have probably helped the airline industry immensely. We were thinking about all the money spent on airlines, and I thought, that's good, but not enough because we need a hub here. Now, we need some airline to move here with the hub so you don't have to connect in all these other cities. But uh, I, I don't know if we'll accomplish that or not. But 20 years, you know. Thought we'd be in heaven by now, but soon. The Lord is coming. Well, hey, you're dismissed. And you can hang around and eat uh, Mexican food right over that way, Italian food and uh, barbecue this way. And then we'll reconvene in